Welcome to Unbossed. We are indeed so glad that you are here. Co-hosting with me today is Ravana, host of Reactions. Ray, how are you today? I'm good, staying warm here in Chicago. Hope you're doing the same in Ohio, but I'm I'm really happy to be back with you. Yeah, so glad you're here. And yes, we are definitely <laughs> trying to stay warm. We we both understand what the weather conditions are in the Midwest. Anything exciting or anything that we need to know that's happening on Reactions? Yeah, well, we'll be back um, this Thursday and then the next Thursday. We'll be doing um, some holiday stuff this Thursday and then next Thursday we'll be uh, looking back at some of our favorite things and least favorite things that happened this year. But then the following week, I'll be uh, I'll be hosting Watchlist for JR the entire week. So you can also catch me on there. Oh, that's going to be awesome. So all of that. So definitely catch Ravana on Ray Actions. Going to look over the past and look at what could be possible in the future. Those are always good type of shows to do during the end of the year. And on the show today, Ray and I will be talking about the Karen, Mayor Karen Bass and Mayor Eric Adams. We're gonna compare both mayor's goals and efforts towards decreasing homelessness. Next, we will have WTF neoliberal. You don't wanna miss that one. And finally, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert are fighting. Yeah, baby, they're duking it out. We're gonna let you know what they're duking it out about. And do not forget to encourage others to subscribe. Please share the link of Unbossed. Send this out to your friends and your frenemies. We need people to know they can catch us at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. This is a show you do not want to miss. Let them know, go to YouTube. And just go ahead and put in Nina Turner Unbossed or Unbossed Nina Turner. Either way it goes, YouTube it, baby, send them that message. So the veterans of our country, they want to see a holiday truce. Veterans call for Congress to take action on multiple fronts. Will Congress listen? Who knows, they should. Let's look at this headline, US veterans call for holiday truce, ceasefire and negotiations to end war in Ukraine. Winter's arrival, and so this is one of our writers, this is Jerry and he's writing, he wrote this op-ed and there are a whole host of veterans and leaders who agree with what he had to say in this op-ed which appeared in Common Dreams. Winter's arrival in the Northern Hemisphere brings increased concern about the war in Ukraine. Now in its 10th month, concern about the suffering of civilians under siege and the fate of millions of refugees. Concern about the energy crisis and the militarization in Europe. Concern about war related food shortages in Africa. And concern about the possibility of a civilization ending nuclear war. Yes, a civilization ending nuclear war. We all should be concerned about that. These were all poignant points that Jerry made in his op-ed in Common Dreams. He goes further, in the face of these compounding disasters, the world's people are confronted by the apparent readiness of Russia, Ukraine, the US and NATO to dig in for a long war in which there will be no winners. Underline it, bold exclamation point message in a bottle, there will be no winners, absolutely None. Jerry goes on, veterans for peace 
shares all of these concerns. As far back as 2015, we called for the withdrawal of all NATO forces from Ukraine's borders with Russia. Like many observers, we saw this unnecessary and totally avoidable war coming. On February 24, 2020, the day that Russia invaded Ukraine, we issued an urgent call for diplomacy, not war. Veterans for Peace is part of the Peace in Ukraine Coalition, which is calling for a ceasefire and diplomacy to end the war before it is too late. Moreover, we want urgent good faith diplomacy to end the war in Ukraine. Not more US weapons, advisors and endless war, and certainly not a nuclear war. Now underline bold that underscore send it in all kinds of ways. We want to see those billions of dollars going for climate, jobs, healthcare and housing, not for weapons manufacturers and war profiteers, amen to that. And let us not forget just even on yesterday's shows and on Unboss, we continue to make sure that you are aware about the hawkishness and the war making that is going on in this Congress in a very bipartisan way. That the budget, the defense budget, the Pentagon budget, $858 billion would it be. Congress gave the president $45 billion more than what he even asked for. And do not forget, because we always put up this chart, we didn't put it up today, but that we spend more money on our military than the next nine nations combined. And let's put a special point on that. Most of those countries are allies, hello somebody. So it really defies a whole lot of logic why this country would continue, continuously build up for war instead of building up for peace. Now there are a host of organizations and individuals calling for a ceasefire, calling for diplomacy and we see them scrolling up right now. Yeah, they are. And these veterans are right, there is no value whatsoever in continuing to push for this war, none. And even former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, who is definitely not a man pushing for peace, he is a war hawk, but even he, Right now is saying, hey, we need to put an end to this war. Let's put up this headline, Kissinger proposes roadmap for talks to end the Russia-Ukraine war. So Ray, I mean, we have a whole host of veterans and other organizations that really push for diplomacy and peaceful means saying to this Congress and to this president, cut it out. We gotta find a way to peace because if we don't, no good will come of this. And now you know when you get former uh, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger in on it, that's saying something. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I was a little shocked to read that headline myself. But I'll say I think it's important that these veterans and veterans groups are coming together to to discuss their opinions on war and and why they stand for peace because especially in the United States, you know, we have a lot of people in Congress who claim to care about our veterans. They want to support our veterans and here are our own veterans saying, you know, these are the ways that war is harmful and that we stand against it. But you know, and and there is, you know, international law dictates that countries are supposed to engage in diplomacy and pretty much exhaust all diplomatic um, all diplomatic options before engaging in any sort of, you know, act of violence, act of war. 
But when you have built up this military industrial complex, when you have this industry of weapons manufacturing and war, that that incentive for diplomacy is lost as opposed to you know the incentive for these companies to you know increase their profits for their shareholders and continue to get these government contracts and to continue to get you know funding from the United States government. So they have to sell more as an industry and it, so it puts these things at odds but it, it is you know really brave of these veterans and they're doing great work you know protesting war and, and lobbying against it yeah they they really are and you're right I mean this country continues to feed the war machine and it's not to help none of this will help the veterans it won't help us and all of these people are pretty selfish because they put everything that we love and we mean everything that we love in peril in other in other news in terms of what former veterans are pushing for, they are asking military, they're asking the Congress to pass the Afghan resettlement bill. Let's put up this headline, retired military leaders press Congress to pass Afghan resettlement bill. Some of the best known retired military officers in the United States have joined a grassroots effort to pass legislation to bolster support for Afghan Afghans who assisted the American war effort, calling for Congress to act immediately and include it in a spending bill that lawmakers are expected to approve within days. Now, in a letter to lawmakers, retired officers, over 30 of them, made their positions clear, and this is what they part of what they wrote, we are convinced that the Afghan Adjustment Act furthers the national security interests of the United States. It is also a moral imperative. And I am really encouraged to have those officers put in that finer point, Ray, about this is a moral imperative. It's not just about economics, it's not just social, it is moral. And how can you have folks arguing against more morals or morality. Well, I'm sure that they will find a way to do that, unfortunately. They warned congressional leaders that if inaction persists, it will have grave consequences for the United States. If Congress fails to enact the AAA, the United States will be less secure, the officer said in the letter. As military professionals, it was and remains our duty to prepare for future conflicts. We assure you that in any such conflict, potential allies will remember what happens now with our Afghan allies. A very, very important point being made by some of our military leaders, Ray. Yeah, I think it's important for them to, you know, pitch this as an issue of national security, but I do want to touch back on the morality issue because the United States destabilized this country for decades of war and honestly for decades before that, you know, with with different tactics, economic tactics and all that, but with the people who you know, were employed by the United States government, got like lots of translators who were used in Afghanistan, assisted the military, these people who were working for them, put themselves in, in grave danger, honestly, and put a target on their backs. And when the United States pulled out, they abandoned them and they, they gave them nothing except for that target on their back. And it's honestly a, a huge moral failing of the United States to to pull out and give them no resources, particularly after the translators specifically were promised these special visas that they and their families would be able to leave the country and that they would you know be able to resettle in the United States. And the United States delivered 
almost nothing of that promise to almost no, none of the translators. Very, very few were actually given that opportunity. So they have an obligation to, to Afghanistan, to the people of Afghanistan, you know, to own up to the promises they made and to give them the assistance that they need to recover from the damage that honestly was caused by the United States in the first place. Agree. We owe and we owe a debt of gratitude for those brave Afghans for standing in the gap for this country. Right, we broke it and we need to fix it. So I totally agree with officers in their push to congressional leaders to pass the Afghan resettlement bill before they go on break. Do that, would you Congress do something, do this. Back domestically, Mayors Karen Bass and Eric Adams. Newly elected Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass is preparing to address the city's unhoused crisis. And she's gonna address it a little differently than Mayor Adams. Watch this. People are unhoused for a variety of different reasons. Some are profoundly mentally ill, some are profoundly addicted. You have to address the reasons why they wound up unhoused uh, while you house them. So we're going to launch a program on Tuesday called Inside Safe, which is going to address the people that are in the tents. Now it's not gonna address everybody, but it is going to address Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully a significant number. But we're gonna put them in motels and hotels immediately. It's interesting, it's lessons that were learned from the pandemic, some community organizations right. have been trying to get the city to master lease out entire hotels and motels for years. We're gonna deal with the root causes, the mayor says as she lays out some of the reasons why people may be unhoused and she is tackling this huge, and I mean this huge mission. So here are some more details on Inside Safe. Mayor Bass said in four years, a metric of the city's success in tackling homelessness would be if there are little to no encampments left. So she's putting out her measure, this is coming from NPR. Additionally, Bass announced an executive order Friday that mandates the city to review applications for affordable housing projects within 60 days. Once construction begins, the city has five days to grant a permit and a certificate of occupancy. The city has two days to complete the process for short-term housing projects. Following the order, 31 affordable housing projects are expected to be immediately expedited, according to a statement from Bass's office. So basically what the mayor is saying is that she's gonna deal with the red tape on the city level. She's gonna make sure that bureaucracy does not get in the way of getting these housing structures built and getting people in homes. Good on you, Mayor Bass. The number of unhoused in Los Angeles has sadly risen since 2020. Homelessness has risen in the Los Angeles area since the pandemic. The county released a 2022 report in September after not doing so in 2021. The count reached 41, over 41,000, almost 42,000 people in Los Angeles City, up by 1.7% since 2020. The total population in Los Angeles is about 3.8 million. Again, this reporting is coming from NPR. So Ray, I'm certainly encouraged by what the mayor is laying out initially. We know that this is a huge undertaking and that is an understatement. And the fact that she is laying out markers early on in her quest to deal with unhoused populations and to help people get housing. I'm encouraged by this. 
Yeah, I absolutely think that it is a good start and a massive departure from some of the policies that LA has, you know, employed in the past. You know, the solution to homelessness is honestly quite simple. House them. Give them houses, give them safe, safe places off the street to live so that, you know, they can start to get back up on their feet, give them access to programs, counseling, jobs programs, you know, that that makes a huge Difference. I am a little concerned about the metric that she's using to gauge the success of the program when it comes to just the number of people in encampments. There being less people living in encampments is a good thing if they were able to get housing and not have to live in the encampments. The number using that metric is a bad thing if you're sending in police to sweep people out of those encampments and move them somewhere else. So if this program is coupled, you know, with a decrease in sweeps of these encampments. I think that that's a really positive thing. You know, on top of that, of course, approving more quickly low, you know, low income housing, more subsidized housing is it's a massively important issue because, you know, homelessness is not just, you know, what people think of just someone who lives on the street. It's people who live in their cars. It's people who are sleeping on their friend's couch because they can't afford a place of their own anymore. Um, or even to live somewhere with roommates. There's all it, homelessness looks vastly different than what it is usually just portrayed as in the media. But when it comes to you know increasing you know low income housing projects, subsidies for housing, that helps address like homelessness across the board. So I think this is a really really good start. It just has to be you know it has to be employed the correct way and with you know a lesser police presence involved as opposed to what LA's done in the past. Yeah, I think the mayor gets that too. So we will definitely keep an eye out on how this progresses. But in the meantime, Mayor, we like what you're talking. This is going to be huge. I mean, she does run a city of 3.8 million people. There's so much going on on a regular basis, not just dealing with and helping the unhoused population, but everything else that goes with running a city. I worked for one of the mayors of the city of Cleveland. Certainly Cleveland is nowhere near the size of LA and I can only imagine the pressures that this mayor is facing. But really encourage the fact that she came in from day one talking about dealing with this among all the other things that are on her long list. Mayor, we're rooting for you and we will keep watching. Now, so another major city, New York, Ray, I think this mayor is doing it the way you said it should not be done. Is dealing with the crisis a, a, a little differently. And Mayor Eric Adams has a much different approach. Watch this. New York City Mayor Eric Adams' new long-term strategy to fix the Big Apple's homeless crisis is stirring controversy. If severe mental illness is causing someone to be unsheltered, and a danger to themselves, we have a moral obligation to help them get the treatment and care they need. His plan announced this week involves hospitalizing severely mentally ill homeless people, even if it's against their will. Now, Mayor Adams' approach has been met with backlash. Check out this headline, it's a hot mess. NYPD was blindsided by NYC Mayor Eric Adams' decision to involuntarily commit mentally ill homeless people and claim City Hall jumped the gun. So hot mess, and you got the NYPD being blindsided. They're already overwhelmed as it is because we got police dealing with stuff that they shouldn't really be dealing with. 
and you overlay this. And then I question like, how are you determining whether somebody's mentally ill or not mentally ill, Mayor? That is a very important question. So the decision to have police take on this task has been especially questioned. Watch this. It puts the responsibility on police officers to determine if and when a person needs to be hospitalized. It turns cops into social workers without the necessary training or experience to deal with mental health emergencies. And having police deal with people who are mentally ill is fraught. A Washington Post database shows that 21% of deadly police shootings involve a person with a mental illness. There it is. So Ali dealt with that straight up. This is not the job of the police. They don't have the requisite training to deal with this situation. And it only exacerbates challenges that are already there for people who are unhoused. And everybody who is unhoused, it does not necessarily have a mental illness. So the mayor approaching this conundrum this way just creates more of a problem. And Sarah Gillespie, a housing policy researcher for the Urban Institute, definitely criticized the plan. Let's put up what Sarah had to say. If you transport them to the hospital, I'm not sure what services they would receive. And if there is no plan for permanent housing, they will return to the streets and the cycle will continue. Once someone is in housing, there are wraparound services. And Ray, that, that's a key point that Sarah is making, the wraparound services portion. Yeah, I mean, this program is horrifying to me and other disability rights activists, advocates. You know, it criminalizes mental illness, you know, and also it's exceptionally discriminatory because the police can pick up anyone that they even just perceive as having a, a mental illness and, you know, put them in programs against their will. It's horrifying. It's, you know, violative of these people's rights. So it's, you know, it's a civil rights issue for, for, disabled people and it's not a solution. It's not a solution whatsoever to homelessness. It doesn't do anything to address the factors that cause homelessness. It's no component to it to increase, you know, housing opportunities. There's no, you know, decrease in rent prices, no more subsidies. It is a disaster. It is a complete disaster and it's horrifying to watch and, you know, I hope that it is scrapped quickly. Yeah. And Ray, this mayor is using the term morality in the way out of context here, saying we got a moral obligation to help the well, what type of help? Like the type of help does matter. And the fact that he wants to use the police, the police are already overstrained. Again, this is not something they should be dealing with. You need social workers, we need to help people to be able to live their best lives. And if some in the homeless or unhoused population are mentally ill, of course we wanna help them get the services that they need. But nobody should be forced and the way that this mayor is seeking to do this is wrong. And Ray and I both hope that the activists that are pushing hard to get the mayor to see this a different way, that they are successful. Here is a quick look at the unhoused numbers in NYC, number of unhoused people in 2022 overall, over 60,000 people. Among those people, over 19,000 are children. And the number of houseless adults up 99% from 2012. So again, we know that the pandemic is exacerbating this, but people were already suffering before the pandemic. And here are just a few steps, some solutions that we could take, that this mayor can take and others across the country. We need permanent housing, we need to integrate healthcare. As Sarah mentioned, those wraparound services are vitally important. We need to build career pathways for people who are unhoused. We need to foster education connections and reduce criminal justice involvement. Or I would put it another way, 
You don't need the police involved in matters like this unless there is some type of violence. It has to be some extreme situation. Let's try to deal with this, this in a way that edifies and lifts the unhoused and to help them to get what they need and what they deserve. And that not only makes their lives better, it makes for a healthier community and healthier cities. We can do this a new and a different way. Mayor Adams, you're not doing this the right way. Mayor Karen Bass, kudos to you. We will continue to watch how this turns out for both mayors because if in fact they find a way to do this in a very humane way, this may be a model that can be expanded throughout the country but making little tweaks here and there based on the needs of individual cities. So we want this to work for both cities, but Mayor Adams, no, you're getting off to a bad start, baby. Go ahead and read, go ahead and look on Mayor Karen Bass notes. Go ahead, it's all right to cheat on this. Look on the cheat sheet, go ahead, look on over on her desk and take the notes and, and start this thing up all over again. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show, my favorite part, viewer comments. Before we get to that, let me give you a few updates. So, Brett, our very own is on ABC. ABC this year. Need post Christmas plans? We got it for you. Join Brett Elridge as he recaps 2022 on ABC, the, the new year, the year. Tune in on Monday, December 26th at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ABC. You don't want to miss that. And on Turks and Jerks, Again, we're approaching the end of the year. You know, on TYT, we do who were the Turks and who were the jerks. And so you don't want to miss that. Tune in. So go to tyt.com slash polls and cast your vote for a chance to win. We're giving away a shop TYT prizes to 20 random people who participate in our jerks of the year and 23 people who vote in our Turks of the year poll. So come on, join join us this year. All right, on to the comments. Tall glass. Hey, tall glass. So glad you're here. You're, you're here most of the time. 60 years ago, President Eisenhower warned us of the looming power of the quote military industrial complex, end quote. Yep, here we are. Tall glass, you are absolutely right. And President Eisenhower's warning was prophetic. And on Twitch, Auntie Dragon subscribed at tier one on Twitch. Thank you, Auntie Dragon, for that. Sending so much love to you. Auntie Dragon also says, sending love to anyone who is struggling today. Thank you, Nina, for always showing up for the people. Love you all. We're sending that love back to you, Auntie Dragon. And then on YouTube Super Chat, David, Nina and Ray, a fearsome combo for the haters. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. Ray and I appreciate that. And Christina, I finally get to see you live and in time to say Merry Xmas. Happy holidays. Love you, Nina and Ray. Well, we're wishing you happy holidays too, Christina. And we're sending that love right back. And to each and every one of you who help us stay independent and to stay strong, we thank you here on Unbossed and the entire TYT network. Without you, boo, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So Democrats might be okay taking away millions of folks Medicaid, which has me saying WTF, neoliberal. We will now kneel. Miss Cinema, Miss Cinema, no. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. 
Ah, our WTF neoliberal segment. The holidays might not be so happy for millions of Americans that potentially face being booted off Medicaid. The stakes are high for children and families that depend on these services, on these benefits. It was revealed on Monday that Democrats are preparing to join with Republicans. Underline it, bold it, exclamation point. See, Ray, it really bothers me because these folks who want to continue to be super partisans don't understand. Put that, put that back up. Understand that Democrats are helping to make some of this foolishness and mayhem, quote one of my good friends, happen. It's not just Republicans; it's the corporatists of both parties. But I digress. Jessica, thank you for this wonderful article coming from Common Dreams. Democrats are preparing to join with Republicans who have demanded. An end to Medicaid policies enacted because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Listen, folks, and listen, elected geniuses, with all types of sarcasm. Do I call you a genius? The pandemic is not over. We might be done with the pandemic, but the pandemic is not done with us. And so people who are suffering during this pandemic will not be ready at a artificial timeline, deadline given by you geniuses. Why would you want to strip these programs, this this program from people in need? You're heartless and you're immoral and you far from geniuses. So I use that word very sarcastically. The nonpartisan congressional budget office expects the PHE to expire next January. Lawmakers have struck an agreement to move the end of its Medicaid rules up to April 1, which would allow states to begin removing people from the rolls who no longer qualify, usually because their incomes have increased. Increased by how much? Because all of the data out there is very clear. Top economists have made it very clear that the pay of the average worker is not keeping up with the rate of inflation. So Ray, go ahead, have at this. I'm done with these fools, really. I just think it's exceptionally shameful to be doing this right after they were running these you know, key Senate campaigns where they had their candidates saying you have to elect Democrats or Republicans are gonna take away your Medicaid or Medicare, your social security. They ran on that heavily. That was part, you know, you know, and he's not in office yet, but that was a heavy part of John Fetterman's campaign. That was a heavy part of Raphael Warnock's campaign, pointing at their opponents and saying they are going to strip you of these benefits. And now uh, you know, it's not those candidates specifically, but it's the Democratic Party, the corporatists in the party that are teaming up with Republicans to actually accomplish that goal. So it really, really goes against what they were, you know, having their candidates run on. But it also goes, you know, it goes against the idea that voters need to vote Democrat to protect their interests in these benefits programs. Because if they're just gonna team up with the Republicans as soon as they get Democrats into office to strip them anyway, why should a voter go to the polls and vote Democrat? You know. Because the Republicans are going to take away their benefits when the Democrats are going to do it either way. It's it's embarrassing, it's shameful, and it should not happen. There it is, Ray, and they wonder why people are cynical. They wonder why people have lost trust in these institutions because these folks lie. You know, it reminds me of when they said, you know, vote for us and you're gonna get the next check. 
And then what turns out, they cut the check. <laughs> you know, they say, oh, you're gonna get two thousand dollars. Then all of a sudden, they started adding up other stuff, <laughs> and the math was not mathing. The court, to quote Andrew Yang, I mean, it really does not make any sense. They are acting just like the Republicans, and really, the corporatists of both wings of the party are the same. We say this over and over again at Unboss. There is very little daylight, if any. I will say there's no daylight, relatively no daylight between the corporatists of both parties. So let us remind you that since the start of the pandemic, Medicaid, the federal and state program to provide health insurance to low income Americans has been far more generous than in the past. Enrollment is higher than ever at 77.8 million people. So almost 78 million people in need. And you know why they in need? And thank you for that, Libby. From the lever, you know what they need? Because we don't have universal health care in the United States of America. Let me remind you for like the millionth time, who's counting? I'm counting. That we are the only industrialized nation on the face of God's green earth that does not have some type of universal health care. Yet we hold ourselves out to be the best democracy in the world. Yeah, the best democracy that money can buy, because owner donors have purchased this. Democracy. This is the corporate states of America, baby. And that is why we cannot have nice things. So now folks are in danger. Let's put up this tweet from Andrew Perez. 15 million Americans could lose. Let me say that one more good time. 15 million Americans could lose Medicaid coverage when states resume, quote, redeterminations, end quote, including many who are eligible, giving states extra cash and bar barring them from trimming their Medicaid rolls has been one of the big successes of COVID policy making. So why would you do a good thing and take it back? Right, it's the same thing they did with the child tax credit. You take you know children out of poverty about 50% and then all of a sudden you catapult them all right back where they started from. This is the same thing that is going on with this Medicaid program. A Capitol Hill source close to negotiations stated the following. Let's take a look and a listen at this. We are decoupling the Medicaid continuous eligibility policy from the public health emergency. We are not ending the PHE. We're providing certainty to states and giving them a gradual stream of funding and guardrail requirements that protect people. This is something both Democrats and Republican states asked for so that the 90 million people enrolled in Medicaid can be given certainty and protected during this massive undertaking. Certainty for what? That you guys are heartless as a mofo? Is that the kind of certainty you're trying to give these people? They talk in circles, Ray, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, and, and you, let me just say one more thing. You know, I had a mentor, Ray, who used to say she was a Cleveland City Councilwoman. Her name is Councilwoman Fannie M. Lewis. She's no longer on this plane of existence. Put Ray back up. Ray and I are having a conversation. And Ray, she used to say, This is clear as mud. And so I want to quote the great councilwoman from the great city of Cleveland, Fannie M. Lewis, for what the, the administration just said. What that person just said, Ray, for me, is clear as mud. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And like I said, it, it's just embarrassing because like you mentioned with the child tax credit, they celebrated that. They celebrated how many children they lifted out of poverty. The Democrats specifically patted themselves on the back for that. And it was a wonderful policy. But then not, not too long after, they got rid of it. And there was Democratic support to get rid of it. The Democratic Party was okay with repealing it. And it's the same thing that we're seeing here. And they're going to give themselves credit for 
how great this program has been, how how many people were able to get healthcare treatment services that needed it that otherwise would not have been able to access it because we have a broken healthcare system in this country and it never should have been like this in the first place, but you know, Profits over people, yeah, profits over people, so here we are. And they'll celebrate the benefits that this gave people while they're stripping those people of those same benefits. It's shameful, and the Democrats, it seems like they never wanna win an election ever again with the policies that they're doing, the things they're repealing, and how willing they seem to be working with Republicans to undermine the the people who are gonna vote for them. This is sick, and at some point, and this message is to the American people. American people, at some point, we gotta stop being complicit in our own demise. At some point, we gotta call the roll. At some point, we gotta look at people's records, not just what they say when they run in, but what they actually do and call the question on these folks. Now, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer did not address the potential provisions while speaking about the package on the chamber floor on Monday. You know why he didn't? Cuz he know what's about to go down. See, I'm telling you, this is a sickness and it is a shame. And we must stop accepting it. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, a no party, libertarian, whatever you are. We have got to come together as working people in this country and stop allowing these elected officials to whisper sweet nothings in our ears and absolutely do nothing once they get the power in their hands. Some of these folks are just flat out liars. And they knew it when they got there, they wasn't gonna do right. And this is Democrats and Republicans, so spare me all the, oh, it's just the Republicans. The Democrats are still in control right now. And they they, they posseing up with these daggone Republicans, they all the same. Lord, have mercy on my soul. I was trying not to need my fire extinguisher today, but Ray and Sachi and Marissa and Fred and Mark, hey, I need it. Damn it, I need my, I need it, I'm gonna need it. We'll have a break here soon, but not right now. Then I'm gonna get that fire extinguisher. Now, here we got a fight breaking out. Well, not physical, but between MTG and Bobert, the SmackDown. Take a look at this. Someone who we all respect, Marjorie Taylor Greene, says Kevin McCarthy is gonna be a great speaker. I guess you'll have to ask Marjorie about that. I'm, I'm a fan of hers, I'm an admirer, but it's not something we see the same way. Lauren? Uh, well, you know, I, I've been um, aligned with Marjorie and accused of believing a lot of the things that she believes in. I don't believe in this, just like um, I don't believe in Russian space so lasers. Are, are you a hard no? Space lasers <laughs> okay. and all of this. No, I, I'm just saying, we, we need to actually have an inside conversation okay. and, and, and make sure that these promises are there. That was Colorado Rep Lauren Boebert at a turning at a turning point USA conference, letting it be known that she doesn't see eye to eye with Marjorie on Kevin McCarthy being the Speaker of the House. Oh, how the tides have turned for the far right, these darlings, these sweetness. Oh, it is turned. Now MTG caught wind of Boebert's comments, and let's just say she had a few things to say. Let's put up what she tweeted. I've supported and donated to Lauren Boebert. President Trump has supported and donated to Lauren Boebert. Kevin McCarthy has supported and donated to Lauren Boebert. She just barely came through by 500. <laughs> <laughs> Go tell the truth, Marjorie Telegram. 
It's very few times I will ever say that you tell the truth. But in this case, baby, you got the receipts, you laying it out. Let's put up the next one. She gladly takes our money, but when she's been asked, Lauren refuses to endorse President Trump. She refuses to support Kevin McCarthy, and she childishly <laughs> threw me under the bus for a cheap sound bite. Oh, M M MTG is not happy right now. <laughs> Ray, I got one more, and we're gonna jump on in here. The country is facing extremely difficult times. Now, Margie Telegreen, you write about that, but you ain't the solution, baby. <laughs> Americans expect conservative fighters like us to work together to save America. And that is the only mission I'm 100% devoted to, not high school drama and media sound bites. Save America, defeat the Democrats. Now, Marjorie, you lost me on all of this. But you know, you checking Bobert, baby, that was a thing of beauty. Ray, what say you about this little smackdown? Yeah, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene definitely got her ass there with the 500 votes. I'm <laughs> that that is hysterical. I'm glad she said it. Um, and it's it's relevant to the conversation at hand because the reason that Lauren Boebert is trying to distance herself from Marjorie Taylor Greene is because she only won by the skin of her teeth by 500 votes. She knows that she can't play up this, you know, you know, crazy persona, hyper, you know, conservative, you know, personality anymore to appeal to her district. They're trying to reject her, so she's trying to, you know, distance herself from Marjorie Taylor Greene. And to you know what, to Lauren Boebert's credit, although I think she's her, those two are competing for the being the dumbest person in Congress. I don't think she actually believes all the crazy stuff she says. Marjorie Taylor Greene, whack job, complete whack job. She definitely believes all of the nonsense that she espouses. She believes in the Jewish space laser. She believes that the vaccine is gonna, you know, make her a magnet or whatever it is that she <laughs> she says, you know. Uh, so I understand why Lauren is trying to distance herself from her. I don't think that matters because the reason that the voters in her district don't like her is because she had a corrupt campaign. She had a restaurant where she poisoned the people who ate there uh, and, and she's done nothing for them. So, oh, it is so true. Well, I think Margie Taylor Green just cut a wrestling promo <laughs> on Twitter. She did smack her down. She was like, "Look at here, chick. Don't forget <laughs> your place in the universe. You barely won while you talking all that big talk." Ooh, we let's put up this headline. Marjorie Taylor Green and Lauren Boebert almost came to blows over white nationalist event. <laughs> <laughs> of all the things to come to blows about, the conspiracy theorists had to be separated at a House Freedom Caucus event in February, according to Politico. <laughs> Let them fight, I say. These two deserve each other. No, they really do deserve each other. Now, McCarthy does indeed need the support of both of these special people. He can only afford four Republican defectors, but five GOP representatives, Matt Gates of Florida, Andy Biggs of Arizona, Ralph of South Carolina, Bob of Virginia, and Matt of Montana have signaled they will vote against McCarthy, denying him of the 218 votes he'll need to win the position when Congress votes on January 3rd. So he can't afford to even lose these two chicks. <laughs> and McCarthy has even bigger issues with American of American public opinion of him. Let's put this up. A new Mammoth University. Oh, yes. Shows McCarthy is basically an under undetermined quantity to most Americans, with about half not offering an opinion of him. Overall, the numbers aren't good. 12% of Americans approve of him, while 34% disapprove of him. Who McCarthy, baby, you got a whole bunch of problems. 
You got 99 of them. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the show. Our second round of viewer comments. We're on Twitch, HOV. Neoliberals and the GOP are like that Spider-Man meme where Spider-Man <laughs> is pointing at Spider-Man. <laughs> they are one in the same. And Ray is nodding her head <laughs> in total agreement, HOV. Yes, they really are one in the same. Thank you for sharing that truth with us. And on YouTube Super Chat, Donald Trump's bone spurs. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you all come up with the best, I mean the best stage names ever, Ray. I mean these, I don't, I don't even know what to do with this one. Vote progressive endorsed candidates. Donald Trump's bone spurs, you're absolutely right in some cases. Cuz some of these folks are fake progressives. So we, we got to tease out who really is the progressive. But Ray and I understand where you're coming from. Thank you all so much for your comments. Thank you again for your support of the show, Unboss, and thank you for the support of the TYT network. Now, Ray and I, we want you to travel with us. We're going across the seas. Labor happenings in the UK. The labor movement is not just moving strong in the United States of America, but it's moving, baby. It's moving globally. For the first time ever in the UK, Amazon workers will go on formal strike. Employees at Amazon's warehouse in central England voted Friday to go on strike. Let's take a look at this headline. It will be the first legally mandated strike to take place in the UK. UK Amazon workers at Coventry warehouse vote for strike action. Yes, stand up together, y'all. Why are they striking? Oh, glad that you asked. You know, we got some answers here on Boss. The workers are unhappy with pay. It's like, why does anybody ever strike? It's the same thing. The workers are unhappy with a pay increase of 3% or 50 pence per hour. Amazon introduced in the summer, which they say fails to match the rising cost of living. They want Amazon to pay a minimum of 15 an hour in their currency. But that is only fair. People got to live. And thank you, CNBC, for that wonderful. Reporting, the UK has also been hit with inflation. And just like us in the United States of America, inflation is ravaging the entire world. Let's put this up, inflation has soared due to increased energy costs and supply chain disruption. Sounds just like the United States, with consumer prices currently at a 41 year high. The Bank of England hiked interest rates on Thursday in an effort to slow inflation, maybe following that same Dumb a model that we follow here in the United States of America. And they have been short withdrawals of labor in the past, but this is the first official strike. Though Amazon workers in the UK have previously stopped working in August and on Black Friday in November in protest over the summer pay increase. These were spontaneous, unsanctioned withdrawals of labor. So now they are organizing baby and doing this together. Amanda Gearing, senior organizer at GMB said this. The fact that they are being forced to go on strike to win a decent rate of pay from one of the world's most valuable companies should be a badge of shame for Amazon. Yes, it should be Amanda. Gearing said in a statement, Amazon can afford to do better. It's not too late to avoid strike action. Get, get round the table with GMB to improve the pay and conditions of workers. Right on, Amanda, it is not too late. 
And the walkout will add to the wave of industrial action happening across the UK. In recent weeks, upcoming strike actions have been announced, striking workers in the UK. Let's put up this beautiful list. Nurses, rail workers, postal workers, ambulance workers, airport staff, border force agents, highway workers, Eurostar staff, civil servants, bus drivers, firefighters, charity workers, meteorologists, offshore workers. Again, this reporting coming from CNBC. This is a beautiful thing to see the workers unite like this, Ray. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that you're covering this story because the workers in the UK around the world are dealing with the same thing that the workers in the United States are dealing with. And that's not just when it comes to bad conditions, low pay, and the need for unions to protect them. They're also fighting against media narratives that are demonizing them. So the UK media is running the same types of stories that you see here in the US talking about how these strikes are gonna impact your family's Christmas or whatever. You're not gonna be able to get your kids presence, but it doesn't ever you know, include the humanity of the workers that are going on strike. What about the fact that they can't provide for their families these holiday seasons you know, because of their low pay? What about the people in, in the UK who can't afford to pay their rising electricity bills? There's elderly folks in the UK freezing to death in their own homes. Like they have a serious problem going on and, and the media is still demonizing these workers and these workers deserve Dignity. They deserve to work with dignity. They deserve to, you know, work with pride. And these corporations are going to do whatever they can to squeeze, you know, any profits out of these workers while, you know, also, you know, underpaying them, giving them crappy benefits. It's disgusting, but it's really great to see these workers come together and standing up for what they deserve. It really is indeed a beautiful thing. I hate that they have to do this at all, but I'm so glad that they are standing up. And some others who are standing up in solidarity. You might have noticed the nurses were at the top of that list that we just read. And that's because thousands of nurses have gone on strike in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland as the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak insisted he would not back down in the face of Britain's most significant wave of industrial actions in a Generation, and that is coming from The Guardian. A nurses strike was the second of two days of industrial action. The first time they have ever held a nationwide strike as workers fight to protect their living standards in the face of soaring inflation. This will be followed on Wednesday by a day long stoppage by ambulance staff. And now you know when the ambulance workers got to go on strike, this is not a good thing for anybody. It definitely puts lives in danger. And they can avoid all this just by giving the workers what they want and what they need. They are not asking for a lot. And the nurses are also impacted by inflation as everyone is impacted by inflation. Let's take another look at what Heather wrote in The Guardian. With inflation running at 40 year highs, unions say many people are struggling to cope. The Royal College of Nursing, RCN, has claimed some members have been forced to use food banks, charity back handouts of essential groceries. Now, Ray, I will say this to you. I think it really is a sin and a shame when nurses in particular, I mean, I don't wanna see anybody use food banks, but when nurses have to use the food bank, we know that there is a problem. 
Yeah, and there's this concept of the working poor. So these are people who have jobs, have income, and they can't even afford to feed their families. They go out and they work and they take care of other people. They can't even afford to take care of their families at home. There's nothing shameful about having to rely on these types of programs. But there is something shameful in not paying your workers enough in the first place. Yeah, shameful indeed. But we will definitely keep track of this power to all power to the people to create, to quote the great Fred Hampton. And now in on to speaking truth to power, we're gonna highlight our jawbone. And this is coming from Jim Butcher. He is an American author. He has written the contemporary fantasy, the Dresden Files, Codex Allegra and Cinder Spires in his That's a Book series. And this is what Jim had to say. There is the world that should be and the world that is. We live in one and must create other. I agree with Jim so much. And this is how I'm going to bonerize or turnerize what Jim's quote really does mean. That some of us are constantly and consciously working to fix what needs to be fixed in this world, both in a macro and a micro type of way. We persist against forces of want, doubt, and indifference. We declare that there is a path towards equality and justice for all, and have the courage to shake and both shape the world one community at a time. And although we are well aware of the current state of things, we will not rest here. We will work with all deliberation, vision, and courage to create a world that defaults to what is just, to what is right, and to what is good. Let's put up that quote one more good time. Let's put up Jim's quote one more good time. I want people, I want to sear this in their minds one more time. Let's put it up. There is the world that should be. And the world that is, we live in one and must create the other. Sisters and brothers and family and friends, I want you to join us and all of us, not just Ray and myself, but others around the world who are working diligently to create a different and a better world. Once you do that, we can do that. We don't have to accept things as they are. We gotta be cognizant of them, but we don't have to accept them. Thanking each and every one of you for joining us today on Unboss, sending you all kinds of love. And you know what I want you to do about this time. I want you to keep the faith and I definitely want you to keep the fight. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie and the Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.